You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Francois. Yes. Did I mess it up again? No, no, it was perfect. Okay, you're, just you're... making sure. <laughs> I was, as soon as I said it and it came out, I was like, I feel like I messed it up. It always happens. No, but no. dude, please, it's I'm happy to have you on the show. I, you're probably one of the first guests I have a lot of questions for. But if you want to introduce yourself to everybody out there. Okay. So as you say, my name is Francois and uh, I live in France and I'm... Um, I work in, at the university where I'm a software engineer. Uh, I work in a kind of fab lab where I help uh, a student and researcher to uh, problem solve with uh, uh, coding, um, uh, data sciences, uh, uh, electronic. Um, and um, I'm also, I, I studied uh, uh, physics and astrophysics when I was uh, younger uh, in, in the 90s. So I've got a master of uh, science in physics and astrophysics, and I did work six years inside the planetarium and inside uh, inside uh, an observatory uh, where you have a simulation of the night sky and uh, you you uh, try to decipher uh, your position in the universe. And obviously, you have questions around about all this. All right. So the, one one of many questions. One President Barack Obama is following you on Twitter. So I was like, look, really? he's <laughs> he's studying astrophysics, and or you, you have it, you know, you have a good understanding of it. And this guy follows you. And I have an astrophysicist friend who's like, Obama knows some things. And a lot of people are probably depressed by the UAP report that we got. Was that was like nine pages? And I think the whole alien things kind of dropped off a little bit. But I'm still so interested in it because the fabrications of space. Just the immense amount of that there is out there to know. And I want to get your thoughts on aliens, space, why you love it so much, why you, you know, it's the whole physics background to it. Okay. Well, first, I think Barack Obama, like old president, they follow everyone, which is not, <laughs> which is not completely crazy, right? Which, which, and um, it's just the part of the social network. Uh, uh, promotion and stuff. So I do not know uh, Barack Obama, but but I think he's, he's a really great president because he's very open, and he did um, he did read uh, some interesting um, uh, science fiction books. He's, he's a science fiction fan actually, and he, he read a book uh, called The Three Body Problem, for from Liu Cixin, which is a, a Chinese science fiction author, which is very very famous in China. And um, with a lot of interesting uh, physics uh, and um, science-related uh, questions, and in this book there's a, an invasion to uh, towards the Earth, and um, it's uh, it's it, it's pretty interesting. But so yeah, but first um, my interest into the UAP UFO is completely personal. Obviously, it's not something which is studied uh, in universities, and there's still a stigma around this uh, question. Um, my my interest into astronomy came from the the chance to live in uh, in the mountain when I was younger. So I, I could open the door and I had access to a pure sky without night light pollution. So I could see the Milky Way. You can see the the shooting stars. You can see satellites crossing and uh, uh, all the apparent motion. And when you have access 
to a pure uh, sky like this. Uh, obviously, you try to ask uh, questions about uh, what are uh, what is our position. So um, at that time, so I I, I born in 1969, so it's a very long time ago. It's when when the the American when when you look great if you're born in 1969. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Uh, but at that time, um, we we didn't have access. I mean, we didn't have access to data right concerning UFO UAP. Um, things like um, like the uh, the X File TV series became extremely popular in the '90s, and then uh, this question became very related to pop culture, uh, like uh, Superman on, on Batman or whatever, and it became very difficult to decipher what was influence of pop culture and what was really a scientific uh, phenomenon. So I, I at that time I lost interest into this question uh, because it was nearly impossible to, to actually decipher uh, what, what was true or not. So what is interesting with the, the, the report, the American report from June is that uh, uh, they say they have data and they have multiple wavelength data about uh, objects which are moving in ways which are not compatible with the, the way we understand the science. Um, and they have those data, I think they said for more than 80 objects. They've got these things, but obviously this is a preliminary preliminary uh, report. We don't have access to the data because the, those sensors are probably classified, and they would reveal the capabilities of the American Army to to uh, to measure such and such things. Um, but the fact they also mentioned the stigma around this question, um, the fact they want more pilot to come and uh, describe what they've seen. Uh, I think it's really positive for me, even if you don't have uh, a big reveal. And me, my position on the UAP, UFO uh, uh, UAP phenomenon is I'm unsure about what it is. Um, but it's exactly because I'm unsure about what it is that it is interesting. I'm pretty sure uh, we, we are going to learn something interesting if we have the chance to, to investigate. And... Um, when you study uh, science and, and physics, um, which is my initial training field, um, it became apparent that um, the, 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 the physics field didn't really explode uh, in the last uh, nearly century. We, we have uh, two main theories, which are uh, quantum mechanics and also uh, relativity, uh, which date from relativity is 1905, 1915. Uh, quantum mechanics is 1920. 25 for the Schrodinger equation with a cat. Um, but those theories are not compatible uh, together. So it, it wouldn't be very problematic they're not compatible if at least we would be able to explain uh, enough of what we want to explain. Um, since nearly a century, uh, we know there are problems in our understanding of the dynamic of uh, large-scale structures, for example, the sun um, turned around our galaxy, the Milky Way, in a way that uh, our galaxy shouldn't keep uh, together. It should explode if you want, if it should uh, collapse, well, go, go, go away if you want. Uh, even in cluster of galaxies, um, it, it turns too, too fast and we, we miss some of the mass uh, that, uh, that must be present to, to explain the, the, those motion. And if you look at large scale structure of the universe, we see, uh, uh, large scale, it's meaning a few billion light years. We, think, we see things like big walls 
or big filaments of a few billion light years scale. Um, this is not compatible with the um, with with what we know of uh, of our physics and our understanding uh, of the the universe. And this is going on for a very long time. And when I was a student in Master of Science, so that was in the nineties, uh, they were already searching for this missing mass, which corresponds to eighty five. 5% of the universe. Um, and we, we still don't find it. And right now, the main theory is about astroparticles, uh, which are heavy, uh, but we don't see, and which nearly don't interact with matter. And actually, we've never been able to actually see a single interaction of those uh, particles. So we are in a state where we, we, we can't really predict something, and we can't measure it either. So strangely, we come from a, a, a science where we, we, we rely on the scientific method, where we need to uh, have a model and be able to measure and to make prediction with this model, to something that we have to believe like a church of faith. So that would be the church of dark, dark matter or, or dark energy. So um, we, we, need to, uh, we need to investigate something different. Clearly, there's probably something important in our understanding that, that we need to, to understand in order to invest. Um, relativity and, and quantum mechanics are already something extremely crazy. When you think about the, the, the Schrodinger cat, which exists both alive and dead, when you think of, the, of time which flows differently depending on your referential, uh, this was already something extremely crazy. Uh, but people like Albert Einstein, he didn't depend on the um, academics to survive because he was a civil servant in a, in a patent uh, Germany, German office. And um, what he proposed wasn't obviously very uh, accepted uh, at the beginning. And uh, what I find so interesting about Twitter, because you mentioned that you saw that I had this hashtag uh, UFO, UFO uh, Twitter, um, is that a lot of researchers now, um, that some fringe researchers who dare to go against the, uh, common, uh, the, the common paradigms which are accepted, don't find the possibility to do it in academia in general. Um, and they do it on the fringe and they, they connect through other means like uh, YouTube, like uh, Twitter. Um, they are really interesting people that you can follow on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter. For example, there's a British uh, scientist uh, called uh, Mike McCullough. I don't know if uh, it's the right name, uh, the, the right spelling, uh, but he's got a theory of uh, inertia called quantized inertia. He's got also a Ted, uh, Ted Plymouth, uh, TEDx Plymouth uh, video online. Um, his um, idea, well, his theories, and he, he's got some financing from DARPA. DARPA is the military uh, research organism from, from the States. Uh, he's got some financing there. And um, if all goes like he think it, it could work, uh, it, could mean, it could mean a, a very different way to understand inertia and therefore to, uh, to, to, to have a complete and different understanding of a universe. And one of these, the consequence of this model is that we could travel much faster without the need from, for, for propellant, like using the, the uh, vacuum energy um, if you want. Because if you want to move quickly, what we know from physics is um, you can flap your wing, wings 
or you can go very fast with your wing open. And the idea is to have a difference of pressure between your wings uh, and then you will lift up. That's one way to, to fly. The other way is through propulsion. So you take some uh, combustible with you and you, 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 you engine. Um, the other way is called MHD, magnetohydrodynamic. It's, uh, it, you, you create an uh, electromagnetic field uh, around the vessels to create a vacuum in front of you and you advanced. But even that magnitude dynamic wouldn't explain the, the, the cinematic, the, the, the trajectory that the, the, the pilot uh, described for the minutes uh, 204, for example, uh, incidents. So there's maybe something different. And my, my take on this is I'm, 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 I'm unsure. I, I'm not sure if, um, so I'm not a skeptic and I'm not a believer either. Uh, I know that we need to investigate into things we, we, we don't understand. And it, can, it could still be, for me, uh, eventually something which could be uh, Russian, Chinese, I, I am unsure. Um, it could be uh, even um, a perception of consciousness or whatever thing that I, I, I don't know, I'm unsure. Uh, it, it could be also something which comes from, uh, from another planet. Uh, I, I'm unsure either. But you say, I think you said somewhere that um, <clears throat> you played video games, right? So did you play World of Warcraft? Yeah, she did. Okay. Uh, I played in 208. 208, it was Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, and I, I never played the MMO, and I thought it was so fantastic, so intense, right? And the, the difficult part was the raids. That was difficult, because you had to problem solve with different people, and it was 25 different people. And from, from sometimes, you didn't advance at all, and you couldn't kill just one boss during the night. And even the red leader said, okay, you understand all the strats and say, yeah, yeah, no problem, we, we, we've got it. Um, but when you said, when you took the risk to say, uh, <clears throat> I'm unsure, <laughs> could we maybe talk about it again? Um, uh, I realized that uh, the, the next time we tried, the probability to actually solve the problem was much higher. And it was much higher because the people um, who actually dare to say, I'm unsure, can we maybe rethink about, about this together before trying again, is very low. So when you take the risk to, to, to say to the group, hey guys, I'm, maybe I'm bad because I'm unsure, um, you, you have a much better chance that people are going to uh, change their behavior uh, and, and that we maybe are going to solve the, the problem. So my, my, my take on this, my... my uh, my um, behavior, if you want to, is, is this. First of all, thank you for doing my podcast because you're the first person on UFO Twitter that I've been able to talk to without them saying something insane that <laughs> maybe be like, I've asked the wrong person. Because that's the issue with UFO Twitter is that like, I want to I wanna understand more about the UFO stuff because when people say there's aliens, I've talked to plenty of people that have had alien experiences and some that were so far in episodes, like about a year apart from each other that don't know each other from different sides of the globe that have had some type of weird appearance or occurrence or something that they can't really explain. But when it comes down to like science, for instance, people put science on the chopping block a lot, uh, mostly because the 
fact that they backtrack a lot of things like, oh, it turns out it could be this or it turns out it could be that. I'm like, well, that's the whole point of science is it's supposed to try and find an answer. And sadly, I feel like there are really no definitive answers in a lot of things. We're always constantly changing or we're always constantly going around. That's the importance of it is never having a finite conclusion, but always striving to see if there's something that you can change or something that to find it at least as most accurate as possible. Now with flat earthers, that's a whole different argument because they just want to see like, nope, this is this, this is that. There's no other thing. Some people say space isn't real, which I try and understand their perspective. But when you really look at the thing of like dimensionals, like now we're researching into dimensions now, realizing there could be another dimension out there where before we have never even thought of that 30, 40 years ago, might've been an idea in a movie or a script or a book. And I look at it like, when I hit on UFO Twitter and I'm looking through, it's always somebody with a name that is nothing. It's just a bunch of coded secret messages like government conspiracy at Gmail or something. And then their profile picture is nothing. And I'm like, I can't, I want to have a discussion about this. I want to get your thoughts on it because with all this UA, UAP stuff, Australia released 1700 articles about UAPs or un, un, unexplained phenomena. We only released like nine something pages about it. And a lot of it was like really just kind of reiterating some basic points on to like continue on to page two to learn more about UAPs. And that gives you a whole description of what UAPs are. Now go to page three. I'm like, hang on a second. I'm expecting actual accounts of people that say they see something that they cannot explain. And my kind of thought is that it might be a form of technology that we have not really been released to us yet. Something that is like in the works or something that is way above what we usually see when it comes to like Thunderbirds or these giant jets that fly around. It might be a show off to another country or something like that because the government is known to have equipment that's 20 years or 30 years advanced to what we have. I've studied Bob Lazar I've heard the whole stories of, you know, the unknown element, the, uh, what is it? Uh, 115 or something like that. That he talks about, that's like this yeah. weird. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about? Cesium or something. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it leaves so much to question because everyone's got a different view of it, which I think is important. That's the whole point of these scientific theories. That's the whole point of anything is that you never want to have the same exact conclusion as somebody else. You should always have different perspectives brought in. I think a lot that happens to do with how maybe some of our systems are running is the fact that there's a lot of people in these systems that agree on the same things, but nobody ever brings in another perspective. They, it's just like having a bunch of yes men. I like it that there's so much diversity when it comes to this because it leaves an open area for speculation and trying to figure out what's true. That's the whole point of science. Science is trying to classify something and understand something, but nobody really likes the answers. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly what, what, but the problem is this phenomenon is, is still not into the realm of science because of the stigma around it. And that's why we have. I'm okay, uh, by the way. I'm just choking uh, and dying. Okay. Off <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> but that's why we've got uh, this difficulty to actually bring into the table uh, scientists. And if you look to people like A.V. Lobb, do you know A.V. Lobb? Yeah. So this guy has been uh, the director of the Harvard, Harvard uh, Institute of Astrophysics for nine years. He's got nearly uh, 2,000 papers on his uh, account. So and no huge. social media, none. Yeah. Yeah, did you try? Okay, I didn't try. Uh, he's not at all. 
Well, no. Oh, he was on a Joe Rogan podcast explaining that a lot of these other people that because he wrote about the pencil like comet asteroid that so like a comet apparently has ice on it is why you see like the tail and everything like that. Well, he was explaining this thing that was up in the sky that looked like a long pencil shape that might be from another planet. Everyone yeah. was trying to prove well, him yeah. wrong, but he had no social media to protect himself, so he had no way of getting this out there okay. or trying to explain or defend himself. And that's what I know about him, like him trying to explain it on a podcast. Yeah. But what is crazy, this guy is very well recognized, he's, he's at the top of the game, and even him, because he dare to actually study this phenomenon, and he dare to actually even think that maybe it could be also alien, uh, and we need to study it because it may be worth, worth, worth our time, even there, there's a stigma. And so there are subjects which are difficult, because... Um, and I think all researchers kind of believe that there's life everywhere because we know everywhere when we know that so million billion of, of, of stars uh, in each galaxy and so many <laughs> galaxy and, and we found so many uh, uh, other planets around stars. But I saw an article of Paul Butler, which is uh, uh, an astronomer, uh, who was one of the first to actually search for exoplanets. Uh, the first exoplanet has been discovered in 1995. And before this time, he said that those researchers, which were on the, on, on, on the, on the finger of a hand, uh, they actually lied. now. Oh, there's more than 4,000 exoplanets okay. around other stars. I was way off. Yeah, and, and uh, we will have much more when we will have the right instruments in orbit. But he explained that uh, they didn't say on what they were because it was seen as something shameful. Because... It's weird, right? So the, the there are some subjects which are difficult simply to to study in academics because the the um, the scientific method works very well. I think what doesn't work so well is what you have the right to study, and and obviously uh, researchers are humans, and there there's some uh, influence mechanism. Uh, there are some people who are. Uh, into the referee committee, so you have the right to publish in the right journal. Um, if you if you say things which are against the current paradigm, it's going to be difficult to, to publish. And that's why I see more and more researchers going through social media, like YouTube, like uh, Twitter, to uh, show what they're doing, and to gather other researchers, which are also kind of fringe researcher, researchers, and try to... Uh, to, to advance on, on, on the subject. Well, it's so hard to imagine you study something for 40 years, you pass a paper, and then this is seen as what everybody's like, oh my God, this is this is the research that we're all going to go by. And then one person comes up with something in a matter of a year that discredits everything that you have gotten wrong. Instead of looking at it as like, okay, well, at least we'll, we'll be on the right track then. They look at it as an attack onto them. That's 40 years of their life that's going to be gone studying this one thing that turns out to be wrong. You know, that's, it, it's seen as like a personal confrontation. That's what Avi Loeb was going on about, about all these people that were trying to discredit him and he didn't have any social media to protect himself it's because science kind of like a little bit of a competition in a way everybody's trying to get something named after them everybody's trying to get something published maybe not everybody that might be a generalization but he was talking about his issue with everybody coming at him he had no social media to protect himself and no way to get this out so whenever i would bring up a name people would be like well that guy's known as like he's wrong all the time i'm like well actually no he's not just the way that you've heard because you've heard through social media and you haven't heard from him 
his perspective. You've only heard everybody discredit him. So then it's like creating a conspiracy okay. theorist yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. The the most of the the, the researchers believe or astronomers believe that you can't really cross the distance between the stars. Uh, because it's obviously far away, uh, four, four light years for the first uh, the star near, near the sun, Proxima Centauri. Uh, but in fact, um, it is not that far away. Because if you, if you take into account, obviously the, the, the space is not a place for humans because it's extremely not compatible with the way we live. And even if you want to sustain people on the International Space Station, you have so many people on ground fixing so many problems every day to keep all those people uh, up there alive. But uh, if we go back to the idea that we don't have a complete understanding of physics, and that maybe there are other ways to actually move and to, uh, to cross large distances, uh, you talked just before about interdimension. There's a French researcher called Jean-Pierre Petit, and um, he has a theory called Janus, G-A-N-U-S uh, theory, where it's a model of two dimensions. There's two universes, uh, one with positive mass and one with negative mass. And in his uh, theory, which is published in a, in a, in a, in a paper, um, he said that if it works, you could actually uh, pop up in the other dimension and travel much faster on the speed of light and come back. The problem is nobody, no, no, no normal astronomer wants to, to study that and to confirm or infirm what he's saying because it would be too dangerous for your repetition. So we, we come back to the idea that um, we, we need to, to remove the stigma and to, to, to be allowed to study things which are a little crazy because quantum mechanics is completely crazy. Relativity is completely crazy. So why can't we have the right to study uh, hypotheses or, or theories, which maybe will lead to a new uh, important paradigm that we, we, we missed in, in our understanding. Uh, and it's currently the challenge uh, to do that. So the fact that the, the, the US said, uh, we maybe will need new, new, new science understanding on that, and that we really want to change the stigma around this uh, subject, that we go as far as to say we don't want to use UFO uh, as a term because uh, the movies are, and the TV series are all around this, uh, this vocabulary. So maybe we'll use something else to, to, to remove the stigma. I think it's a great idea. I think it's, it's super important. Um, I've seen... Um, a, a neuroscientist uh, on YouTube um, who studied uh, social pain. In fact, he studied the uh, influence of rejection on your brain. And he shows in the TED video, the research is done, and he invited three people and he said, okay, you're going to play together. You're going to throw the ball to each other. But he, only, he said to two of them, he said, after a while, you don't give the ball anymore to the third one, okay? And we're going to measure your brain. We're going to see exactly how it works. And in their uh, imagery of the brain, uh, they see that when you are rejected from the group, the, um, you, you, the status of your brain is exactly when you have a physical injury. It's exactly the same perception as a physical injury. And, and you, 
you, you can go as far as to treat it with the medicine you take when you have actually a physical injury. So the, the social pain of rejection is something that human, because we are social animals, we, we can't go far along, uh, we, we can't sustain for a long time the fact to be, to be rejected. And that's why I think uh, those uh, important science and, and new ways to, to research things uh, haven't been done. And that's why physics is probably one of the science we didn't improve so fast like the other sciences did over the last uh, decades. Because it's so hard because we need to see something to know what it is. I mean, that's the whole concept, like seeing is believing, for instance. Yeah. Oh, an interesting um, study that I researched, you ever heard of the placebo effect, right? Yeah. Okay, well, there's a thing called the nocebo effect. And what actually happened was they actually looked at autopsies of corpses that had been diagnosed with like a certain type of cancer, which the, they did an autopsy realized the cancer is benign, but the body had been given such a drastic type of diagnosis that they started experiencing symptoms of actual cancer from hair falling out to, you know, going needing chemo or things of that sort. And they realized that even something so powerful as a diagnosis, if I told you right now, you had a, a life threatening disease and only a month left to live, you're going to start getting up into your head. And the next, you know, you're convincing yourself. I mean, we know people that can brainwash themselves on a concept of like printing false memories things of like i i remember doing that you never you've never been to tahiti you've never been well i went in yeah. 2004 where are the photos well i don't have any photos because you weren't there you you somehow convinced yourself this is where schizophrenia and all these types of things start to come in which I think is my, my fascination is with the human mind of what the, everybody's perspective of how they're developing their thoughts and how it got there and also like how far it can really be pushed but with space for instance that might be out of my realm but when you start examining like why I like the human mind so much is because if you put a bunch of people that think differently trying to study what quantum physics is or what trying to study what space is, maybe they don't have a certain area of degree, but it's a bunch of different perspectives and you start yeah. to realize everybody's got a different insight to help each other get to what might be the, a, a good possible answer or a good conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And that's a problem of science too and academia. Academia for a reason of uh, practicability uh, developed as separate sciences. So you have biology studying uh, things alive. You've got chemistry studying the, the, the change of matter through reaction of molecules and, and atoms. Um, you have physics, which is underlying uh, a lot of them. But all this has been separated because it's just easier to classify that and then to advance. But then what we need now is to be able to uh, fill the gap between the sciences we have because science is not a collection of, of sciences. Uh, everything is connected together. And in uh, academia, they talk a lot, for a long time, they've been talking about interdisciplinarity and pluridisciplinarity. But in reality, <laughs> the, mechanism, the mechanism of, uh, of, of influence on the culture is very uh, into each faculty, right? And um, our culture is very much a culture of speciality. Um, if you look at the Renaissance period, so if you look at De Vinci, for example, this guy was an engineer, he was an artist, he was a scientist, uh, and, and so on. And, the, and the, the accepted culture of what was expected of you at this, at this period of time is to have a very horizontal profile. Obviously, it was much easier at the time because there was much less knowledge to actually understand. And when 
when the analytical culture came around René Descartes and the Cartesian way of thinking, uh, you had really to specialize yourself to be uh, considered as something worthy. And um, I think, and, and if you, you can even find it in, in some expressions. So for example, you probably know the expression, Jack of all trades, master of none. It is a negative expression. You say, this guy, he touched everything, so he's bad. But before this expression, it was, uh, I don't remember which century it was, but it was Jack of all trades. And then it transformed into Jack of all trades, master of none. So it was a positive uh, expression. So I, I think we need both. And I think we need obviously specialists, but it would be great to have also generalist people, people who are able to connect the dots between different uh, parts uh, far away. It would probably be great too to have people with some T-shapes profile, people who are good specialists, but we know enough uh, around their specialty to make a connection. But right now, we're still very much into this hyper-specialized uh, uh, profile. And then it's, a, it's even a problem for, for other, problem, other subject because, because everybody is specialized, it's never your fault, right? Because you don't want to look at the problem uh, globally. You're just uh, responsible for one part of the problem. And uh, maybe that's why we are today with the uh, big problem like the, the climate problem, like the bi biodiversity destruction and everything. And we have problems to actually move uh, because we, it's not a problem. I'm specialized in something and I, I, I'm not trained uh, or interested to try to see the, the, the problem uh, as a whole. But what you said is exactly that. We need people from different backgrounds to work together. And currently, my understanding from what I see in my university, uh, even if uh, it is probably an intent, in, intention, I don't think it, it works very well. And, and that's why some of, of researchers begin to use social media uh, as a way to connect with other background or other ideas. And I'm interested into that because the, the, um, what is powerful with us is, is the fact we are social animals. We are so weak alone. We have the impression we're very strong because we see uh, American movies and we have the impression we can be individuals, uh, which are disconnected from everyone. But in fact, uh, we, we are completely dependent of, of other people. And, and the, what we need is to be able to, to tap into collective intelligence. The fact we have all this different knowledge together and all this different, um, this different um, experience. So one thing I like to learn, uh, in my university, there are 50,000 students coming from all the countries and with all languages. So one of the hobby I had uh, was to learn about new cultures and also new languages. So I made, I, I did a little some Mandarin and, and some uh, Japanese. And um, uh, what is great when you talk with someone which is not from your culture, um, so you exchange about how was life in your country? Uh, how do you see that? And then you realize that what you thought was universal, some parts were actually cultural. And at those people, I don't see the same thing at all. And the only way for you to decipher what is cultural, universal, and personal into your way of seeing the world is to interact with other cultures, 
Otherwise, yeah. everything is universal. Well, it's kind of like um, my idea of religion, for instance. I'm not a religious person, but what I say is every religion seems like they have a piece of the same puzzle. You know, we're all meant on this earth, for instance, is to communicate. But for sure, after a while, you kind of want to distance yourself and have your personal space, 100%. But through talking with so many people, there's one, I'll have one scientist on, they'll talk about a whole bunch of things. And I'm like, well, did you see from this perspective? It's like, I never really saw it from that because I don't study that. It's like, that's kind of the whole point is we're all supposed to be working together to strive for better rather than tearing each other apart or just sticking with our own views you know jack of all trade master of none might seem like a horrible thing to somebody but i've heard a lot of people use it as a compliment it means they're good at everything now i don't know a specific field or an area of research but i've talked to a lot of people to be able to manage a conversation in each one of these fields from underwater ar archaeology to you name it i've talked to it and it's because it's trying to grasp a firm understanding because I think as people, it's way easier to try and understand something if you take a little bit of everything. I mean, we want everything, a little bit of everything all of the time. But when it comes to certain things, we a lot of people are now sticking to niche groups rather than branching out and trying to discover more, get another perspective on things. We're basically shooting ourselves in the foot in a way. You know, we always backtrack or we always go forward and then we're backtracking again, going back. And I'm like, we're never going to see a whole lot of progress unless we can really get on the same page of just trying to understand and not dismiss, but be open to kind of all of it. Uh, exactly. And also we need to, we need to experiment things. Um, there's everybody knows about uh, quantum mechanics and, and uh, relativity. In the 70s, there is another field of science with that very few people know about. Do you know what it is in the 70s? I'm going to guess. I don't know. We were big in cocaine in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because the name is not sexy at all. And it's called complex systems. Okay. Did you heard about complex systems? I've heard of it. Uh, when you study physics, you have the impression first that you will be able to put everything into equation. And in fact, we can put things into equation and then predict the system, but only for simple systems or on systems where you can approximate some of the things. But imagine that, and that's the theme of um, the three-body problem, the, the, the Chinese science sci-fi. Imagine that you want to study a star system with three suns of three stars. Three, only three elements, right? Uh, you can't even put that into equation. You can only know the result by actually going through the experience. So we need to make exper exper experiments. We can't put in everything into equation. And we... The, the universe of brain or body is very complex. There's more than three <laughs> elements. Um, and you, it's, it's, it, there's the, this concept of emergence, which happened. For example, the, one of the systems which have been studied in the 70s are ant eels. You know the ants? Yeah. Ant eels. And the researcher thought, well, uh, this is very efficient. This is very organized. There's, there's a nursery, there are soldiers, there's people. Uh, on searching for food and so on. So they imagine that maybe uh, it is um, it is organized by um, by a queen. The queen is architect. The queen gives the order. But in fact, they realize that no, there's no top-down system. The queen is not the architect. They didn't find any architect. And in fact, the system uh, emerged and and uh, self-organized itself from top-down, 
only because there, there is a um, critical mass of members, but also because there's a system of communication uh, which is open to everyone, which come across other uh, ants. For example, the, the, there's a pheromone saying, well, I found food in, in there and I'm doing this. And then the other uh, ants can actually adapt themselves. And there's this, this complex of emergence. So something which, which uh, self-organized and which become um, visible and efficient, but which, which wasn't into the system at the beginning. So, for example, if you take a gas, so you've got uh, air uh, going very quickly uh, in all direction. Um, if you interview the, the molecules, they will say, well, I'm going into this direction with this speed. But because you've got enough of them, uh, you have something else which appears at a bigger scale, which is pressure, which is something which is not visible at the scale of the individual molecule. If you ask um, a blout cell, what are you doing in life? Well, I'm taking uh, iron and I, I move and I give my iron to, to other cells. But they don't have, they can't see that they are useful at a bigger, bigger scale. And maybe for us, maybe uh, we have, um, we, we are part of a complex system. Uh, maybe we are, we have a usefulness uh, at a bigger stage of complexity that we maybe don't see and yet, or don't understand yet, and maybe we, we won't ever be able to understand it if, if, if it is the case, or if something like that should appear later. If you study astrophysics, there's a, there's a book which is well-known called A Brief History of Time from Hawking, Stephen Hawking. Um, what, what is interesting in astronomy is you, you can look at the sky, and the further away you look, the further you look in the past, so the moon, you can see it uh, as it was one second away, the, the, the sun as it was eight minutes away. And you can go there until 13.5 billion years away ago. And that was the Big Bang. So we can see the, the story of the universe. And the story of the universe is pretty simple. It's the complexification of matter, the complexification of the entities which are inside this universe. So if you look at the Big Bang, it was very simple. It was a, a soup of, of primitive particles with a proton, electron. And then if you wait a little, you've got the electron say, well, I'm negative mass and whoa, you are positive. I like positive. Maybe we could do something together, right? <laughs> and then you've got hydrogen. Okay, cool. We, we, are, we are more complex than before. Well, we, are, we are an atom of hydrogen. And then through gravity, you've got a condensation. This going together together. And um, with the gravity increasing, you've got more friction, and then you have fusion, which can happen, happen between, uh, between two, two hydrogen. And then you've got a more complex element, which is helium, with two electrons and two protons. And then if you wait again, um, you will see the stars uh, which, which live their life because they transform the, uh, the, the hydrogen to, into helium. And at the end of their life, if they're big enough, they're going to create uh, other elements like carbon, uh, nitrogen, uh, oxygen. And if you wait again, maybe that on, on, on a planet, which was a result of a death star before, uh, maybe you have uh, complex uh, cells and maybe multicellular organism and maybe us uh, talking about uh, uh, what, what are we doing here together uh, in, in this universe. But it's really the emergence of something which is more and more 
complex, but complex in a good sense, in the in the way of what we, we can do uh, and we can today think about the, this universe itself. First of all, you're blowing my mind because I thought God created the universe in six days and then on the seventh, he rested. Oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> I had to. Uh, I, I look at it like, back to what you were saying about like kind of every, like the community aspect of things too. I mean, the concept of like, we always look at like one person or one person, like you were saying, like the queen, and you start to realize it's the ants that are working together. We look at one person that's going to be able to decipher this or discover this when you realize we all might play a piece into the big picture of things. I mean, we always look for one problem when something goes wrong, instead of looking at a multiple occurrence or a chain reaction of a bunch of different things going wrong. That's kind of like the biggest issue is there always has to be one thing one this die like when a fire happens this is what started the fire it's like how do you know that started the fire shouldn't you look for multiple different conclusions you start to realize there's more problems that could have been the cause of it rather than just one thing that could is obviously the most obvious you know yeah 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 it's it's much more complex than we believe and also our our perception of reality is very incomplete too i mean uh we don't have access to reality. We we can see things around us. We have the impression it, it's real because I can grab the object, but we know that um, another animal would see in different wavelength, and we know that um, what we see is also interpreted by a brain. Uh, so we, we we never have this uh, direct access to to to, to reality, and. Um, it's make things even more complex. That, that's the, uh, if you go back to science fiction, it, it's the obsession of Philip K. Dick, uh, the uh, science fiction American author, and on uh, what is reality. And also to, be, to go back to an expression you said, you said uh, you need to see to believe it. And I went, I went to a conference in France uh, of social, um, I think it's, it's anthropologue, anthropology, 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 mm -hmm. or ethnology too. And he said that um, you need to see it to, be, to believe it. But the guy said, and he was very famous in France, he's a, he's a big boss. And he said, well, maybe the opposite, the reverse is also true. You need to believe it to see it. And he gave an example that we can't prove, but he said that maybe there's been some testimony, maybe, so I'm really not sure, but that maybe the uh, native American Indian, maybe they didn't see the big ships coming from the uh, Portuguese. They saw the little ship because they, they, they believed little ships could, could be, uh, the, the, the little boat could exist. But because we, we, we filtering what we see, if you really believe something don't exist, there's no reason for your brain to actually put it into the, your, your, your frame of view. There's an old study you can look up um, on YouTube, and it's a, basically a bunch of people in a circle walking around or playing basketball, and then it, it ends, and then it stops, and it says, but did you see the gorilla? And then oh, you yeah, didn't I notice saw, saw the gorilla walking through. I was like, yeah. I have to rewind yeah. to make sure they didn't add that in there, but it's true. It's like you only – they, they kind of dangle something in front of you, and you don't notice everything around you. It's kind of being aware of your surroundings. It's so difficult to do, but there are some people who have maybe lived in a bad neighborhood, had a horrible experience or something, but they notice about their neighborhood when something's off. Like there's a car that's been parked down the street for a long time. It's like, how do you know? It's like because they're aware of their – surroundings a lot of people are not aware 
Hell, half the time people walk out in the street without looking both ways. Nobody cares. It's just like you start to realize there's an importance to observing the things around you when you truly take a second to stop and realize the moment that you're in, the time that you're experiencing right now, and you start to examine things like the trees are moving in such a way. Like this stuff is unexplainable on the concept of like people always chalk it up to God. I don't know what it is, but it's something that's so fascinating and it makes your mind start to ticker back and forth of what it possibly could be because it's 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 so breathtaking at times like the, the like mount everest or some type of peak or some type of sunrise or sunset it's so breathtaking in that moment where no thought should be running in through your head because you should be examining the moment that is happening right in front of you and and then even if you want to speculate upon what that is you know it's a concept where you hear people with flat earth ideas i've heard everything under the sun to birds aren't real space isn't real dinosaurs never existed i understand their perspective of it i don't but i i think that's the only thing we really can do is try and understand each other's perspectives and uncover and ask the questions nobody wants everybody wants to relate on their similarities and i think the strongest thing that's going to unite us even more is that if we relate on our differences our differences in things, the fact that you think something different than me, that creates a conversation, that creates a perspectival understanding of how this person came to this conclusion. It's not about what you believe, it's about trying to see how this person believes it, and they should be doing the same to you, which, in case, which creates an engaging conversation that overall leads to a community that's going to see more growth than the one that we've been running on for so long. Exactly, yeah, so I agree, and uh, we will we'll go back to the idea to... Um, go away from time to time from your your culture which could be professional culture for for the researchers and um when, when i when i worked in the in the paytarium for six years what i was surprised is the natural state of humans they they are all curious and they are all uh scientific and artistic uh because all kids uh when you put them in the paytarium in front of a night sky they, they all have scientific questions. Why the sky is blue? I, I had some questions like, uh, why the planet are square, uh, around and not square? This is a very powerful question that adults can't um, ask anymore. They've, they've got very candid, powerful, meaningful question because they don't have a pre-imposed culture on them. It is still virgin, if you want. And... Um, I remember Steve Jobs saying that one of the stronger innovations is death, because then you you're obliged to go back from the beginning with with a with a blank uh, page in order to be able to uh, to see things uh, differently. Uh, I guess but, that's but one I, of the benefits of not paying attention in school is that I have no information in my head that I'm biased to. I'm open to everything. Yeah. Well, some people that we call the kid spirit, they are able to. Uh, to, to keep their uh, childhood curiosity. But it's not a lot of them who, who, do, who do that. Um, me, I've been able to do that. I mean, my, my leisure time, it's about learning new things because I enjoy the process of learning new things. And when I learn new things, I'm really like a kid. I, 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 um, I, I love it, uh, but, but it's not something, uh, it's, it's not something you see frequently into adults. But to come back to the idea of the planetarium, so the adults um, don't ask those powerful, simple questions, spontaneous questions. Uh, 
uh, when they ask question, they ask question they know the result of. So it's very specialist questions, specialized questions about something. Um, but strangely, I saw some uh, retired people, old people, who have again the same behavior as kids, and they 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 don't give a damn about what people are going to think, even if they ask something stupid and simple, because they just want to ask the question. So so we go back to this little problem of not shaming people to, to go back into stupid way to look uh, at things and, and to ask a very, very candid question. So if you go back to, into the idea of social media and Twitter and so on, th there's another um, thing which is happening now, which is open science and citizen science. The idea to ask uh, researchers and, and institutions to uh, to give their data uh, available to everyone who want to do uh, something uh, with it, especially if there's been some financing coming from, uh, from the state. So me, I, I do ex expect a um, um, new circle of thinking, but more outside of the institution. And what you're doing here, for example, talking to people about something which interests you, uh, it's beginning more and more uh, trending, I think, on, on, on YouTube. When you see Lex Friedman, yeah. when you see the theory of everything, yeah. and there are some so such interesting questions with you know interaction and, and stuff. Um, I'm 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 hopeful that if you have uh, if we increase our ability to connect through cultures, for example, you I mean we live at the opposite side of the planet, right? Yeah. Um, and we can easily connect and, and exchange information uh, and, uh, and ideas. Uh, and if you also have access to- And you to... don't call me an idiot. I love it. Thank you. Really? They call you no. <laughs> but they, I think the, the idiot way of thinking is, is I think is the most powerful because that's why you come with really different things. I, I've read an article that I didn't find back. It was about, uh, about uh, Philip K. Dick. How did he come with such- crazy idea and powerful ideas and he said that he was playing the stupid game so not the idiot game but the stupid game and so what he did is um he took some something that everybody everybody believe is right and then he tried to advocate for it to be wrong so he took the the opposite that everybody uh believe and by doing so if if um what you're thinking about being right uh, is actually uh, right. You, you can't find a lot of arguments to, to keep it sticky. But if you, you find arguments that, uh, in fact, uh, uh, it, it's, it's not dying straight away, maybe there, there is something which is sticky. And in a world, we change very quickly. Maybe there are things we believe that was true that we don't put into question anymore because it was true in the past. And um, to have this stupid game is actually something which is which is interesting. And I try to to do that. Me, I, I try to to take something really stupid and try to see if it's something interesting would come. Okay, decipher my podcast. This, uh, uh, that's not something stupid. That, that's that's a goal. <laughs> I, I, I look. I your try podcast. And... Your, your podcast is about. I think your podcast is about connection. And understanding and changing. And if you look at, well, if you look at, I don't know the, if you know Rune Brown, the, it's, uh, she's a, 
a researcher into the field of, um, she, she made a video called The Power of Vulnerability. And she, uh, she interviewed uh, successful people who actually had a big contribution. And she said that in all re research, what, what's come back always is that if there is a meaning to what we do, it is connection. That, and, if, and if you look at the story of, of the universe, it's also about connection. Uh, particle uh, electron like, uh, uh, um, um, uh, well, you've got the connection between the plus and the, uh, and the minus. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's everything about relation. So let, let's, let's imagine what if our universe is about increasing our connection and relation. Then maybe into this idea, um, we should also try to connect with other life forms if they exist. And, they, and if they advance enough. And, and you could say, well, we did try that, nothing happened. But let's, let's go back to what we tried yet. With the, the city program, um, what I've been tried is mainly looking at radio waves. And radio waves, uh, well, we did use radio waves, but do we communicate together with radio waves? No, we don't. We use uh, fiber optics or cable and, so we have no idea if we would use radio wave for a very long time. And also, if you use radio wave, would you really, as an intelligent civilization, give and broadcast your home position planet to everyone in the universe? Which we did. <laughs> yeah, which we did. I mean, this is not intelligent. This is called suicidal civilization. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we did find that there's no suicidal civilization in proximity of Earth. I think that's a pretty good result. I'm very happy not to have a conversation with suicidal civilizations. Um, so yeah, and even, even the uh, radio signal, radio source, decreased in uh, the square of the distance of the emission. So it decreased very quickly. So it's not, it's not surprising. I mean, we, we didn't find anything. And there's also a lot of some papers we try to understand how we would ourselves uh, colonize the galaxy if you wanted to. And we would probably do it through probes like we do on Mars with uh, the rovers and not the helicopters. Uh, because if you look at the lifetime of our galaxy, it would take a fraction of the lifetime of our galaxy to actually uh, colonize uh, and send probe uh, away. So maybe what we see could be probes coming from, from other systems, but not necessarily uh, something which would be biological. And when we know, when we see the advance we have in AI, uh, we could imagine that uh, this could, could go into, into, into probes. So there's so many possibilities. And because there's so many possibilities, it's so exciting to study, but we, we're still into this stigma, these strange things about uh, the X-Files, uh, the ET. The <laughs> so we, we need to break that. And I, and I think that uh, general citizens and uh, uh, the, because one of the reasons I, I really like technology is that it gives a voice to anyone, which didn't happen before. Uh, in 205, um, the, the podcasts was, were popular. Everybody could have his own journal. And before it was super expensive to have your own journal. In 205, and especially 204, there was the podcast phenomenon, the idea that you can have your own radio. And that was only amateur at the beginning. No, no professional were there. The BBC was one of the first to use it after the amateurs. 
Uh, in 2005, uh, it was YouTube. And YouTube is now ProTube. YouTube is you, your mother, your grandma, ma, uh, have a tube, a TV channel. And 205 is also, 204, 205 is also the social network like, uh, like uh, uh, Facebook, and everybody has their own communication channel uh, towards billions of, of potential uh, users. So we, we, we have a, a kind of connection channel now, uh, which is very different from the publication of science, and we can really connect to everyone. Everyone can have a voice, and if we uh, if we can connect better with uh, data, open data, open science, and everything, we maybe find something interesting. And to go back into astronomy, when I when I studied astronomy, I was surprised that the amateur uh, uh, astro uh, astronomy amateur. Um, were actually quite big in astronomy, uh, and they're still big. Uh, why? Because there are much more amateurs in astronomy than there are professional. They they have much more much much more instruments, but not as big and not as powerful as professional. But they scan the sky uh, with much more people, and they, they, there is a lot of um, supernova or even comets which have. Uh, or which have the, have the name of, uh, of amateurs because they were the first to actually uh, see it and actually uh, give this information to professionals which could study it in a more scientific way and especially with more uh, better and specialized uh, instru instruments. So that, that's this idea of the rise of amateur, but which, which can have a very positive influence on professional. And some people use the term pro-aim for professional and amateur in the same way. And um, I do wish that more people would realize that they can actually contribute something interesting and useful to, to, to everyone, right? But because we have those tools. And because me, I remember a time where the internet didn't exist. And what happened when the internet didn't exist? I was waiting uh, at the beginning of each month. I went to a place where you could buy magazines. <laughs> And um, uh, you could find information uh, at, at, a, at a pulse of a monthly pulse, right? On some magazine, you could actually uh, uh, contribute, especially in computing, you could write your program and send it to the magazine. Uh, but you also had to wait for a few months before it's published. And if you saw a bug into your program, uh, you had to wait even more, right, for a correction to come. And I think young people don't realize the chance we have uh, and how crazy this capability to uh, to exchange and to organize and to um, to work together and to play together and to to advance together. Dude, you're 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 awesome. I'm glad someone <laughs> agrees on the community aspect of things, man. Dude, I'd love to have you back on the show if you want to come back on, dude. It's it's been a it's been a great freaking conversation with you, man. Um, I can't thank you, thank you enough you. for even giving me the time. I mean, I know I was all about it when you were, <laughs> when you were joining, I was like, I got to ask him about Barack Obama, but dude, seriously, <laughs> yeah. it's especially like making it into a form where I can understand it, giving me the time, like an, like just a regular person that wants to try and understand a little bit more too, and learn too, and especially anybody out there listening that wants to learn and at least try and understand. I know I'm going to have to replay this a couple of times just so I can process everything that you said, because I'm still like, I just need a cigarette right now. Um, but 
you've given me so much of your time and I really appreciate it. Is there anything where people can find you on? Um, hopefully going to get you back on again, if you want to come back on and chat. Well, I'm uh, like you said, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't even remember my, <laughs> my nickname there. Uh, and also I have a, a, a YouTube channel, but it's mostly about data science and programming, but I will maybe uh, try to do, to make uh, videos about, uh, about UAP. Yeah, well, I'll make sure I link uh, your Twitter and I'll link your YouTube um, channel into the links too, so people can see that. I'm pretty sure I might bring that up the next time if you want to come back on. But dude, it's, yeah. been a, <laughs> it's been great chatting with you, man. Seriously, is there anything you want to let anybody out there listening to know? No, well, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I was surprised when you sent me the stuff, and especially as I'm French, I'm saying, well, good, good, good. I'm going to, uh, um, but um, I really enjoyed it. And I, I didn't feel very comfortable to write to do an interview uh, because I'm not used to that. But, um, but, but because I think the subject is interesting and important, and I, I think we should dare more, right? To even expose ourselves, because when you do that, you expose also yourself, right? You recorded, you've got, you've got, you've got your face <laughs> online yeah. and so on. It's not that easy, right? It's not. It's not. Uh, people believe that YouTubers are narcissistic people, but it, it's very rarely the the, the case. But they, they feel that they have something to share, and I think we all have a different experience of of, of life and of this universe. And the the best thing I think we can do is is to share it. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, I'm not a big guy for camera and then I just did it because it makes YouTube listeners or anybody watching feel a little bit more whole, like they're sitting in a conversation. So I'm more than willing to do that to learn. I'm talking to someone important like yourself. I mean, given I'm all this, important. you you are very important. 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 Everyone is important uh, in no. their own way. Yeah. Everyone is important. I mean, history is not the history of important people. History, the history of, of everyone. And if you want to win a war, uh, it's not the history of the commander, right? I mean, everyone's got a part in the history. Everything is connected. Uh, so everyone is, is we, we can't, uh, everyone is part of the equation, even if there's maybe no equation. <laughs> but, but, well, uh, I'll, I'll say, I'll make sure I link everything in the description. I appreciate you for doing the podcast and thanks for listening to this episode out of the blank podcast.